And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, bashing us, fuck him. <laughs>
I think that it's it's that or Eric Adams doesn't feel he's competent enough to be the, the police commissioner. Well, it's one or the other. And I can tell you this. Absolutely, the police department was not prepared for an event like this. And that's a problem. I talked about this on prior podcasts. Steve Jobs talks about this. In order to have an effective company, people are important, but it's even more important you have an effective system, a system in place. And when I was in the, I can reflect on that. When I was in the Marine Corps, we had a, a system that was in place that works in peacetime and especially combat time. And any veteran out there knows exactly what I'm talking about. Every rank from private to general learns the effectiveness of leadership traits, leadership principles. They embody that. It doesn't matter if you're high ranking or low ranking. Why? Because if you're in a combat situation, and let's say you're in a unit where the captain happens to be the highest ranking person, God forbid that captain goes down, the lieutenant has to be ready to take his place within seconds. And God forbid that lieutenant goes down, a sergeant will take his place. If the sergeant goes down, a corporal will take his place. So every rank is ready to go within seconds. And we didn't see that here in the police department. When Key Chen Sewell decided to step down, in seconds, a police commissioner should have been named. Not an interim police commissioner. Someone should have been ready to go with the leadership skills and the training to take that place immediately. And that was the key to success in the Marine Corps, is that any position that you're in, you're always training to be in the next position above you. That's part of ambition. Absolutely. We should have heard the NYPD has appointed the 46th police commissioner in the NYPD. Yeah. We didn't hear that. We heard an acting police commissioner. Um, I don't believe that a man that stayed over 30 years on the job that was the first deputy commissioner, which is the second most powerful position in the NYPD, um, doesn't want to be the police commissioner. If he doesn't, I mean, there's something wrong with, with appointing him as the first deputy commissioner in the first place. And I agree with you. It should, the minute she said, I'm done, you know, and it's over and he wasn't able to talk her away. That's it. All right. No problem. Ed, congratulations. You're going to be the 46th police commissioner. How do you feel? My brother, you know, um, you know, and what, or whoever it may be, whoever it may be, whether it be John shell, whether it be whoever, uh, Madri, whoever it's going to be, who, but what, what, in my personal opinion is he doesn't feel any of them already to, to really be the police commissioner. He was looking at it from a political standpoint. I don't really think he wanted to name a man. I think he knew what would have happened if he would have appointed Tish. There would have been a lot. Of, he would have had a lot of bad press for a long time. So I think I, you know, I think it made sense to appoint appoint Caban. You know, he's the third, uh, still has over thirty years on the job. I know a lot of people that know him. He's very well liked as far as as a person, as a guy, as someone that you could go to if you have a problem or you need a favor. I haven't really heard anything about his police career whatsoever. I haven't heard much about his police career. I heard the same thing. He's a big active member in the NYPD, Hispanic Society. He gets a lot of people promoted. There's a lot of nepotism going on from what I hear with the lineage from Ed, Ed Caban and also his constituents and also the members of the Hispanic Society. But with that being said, yeah, I heard great things. He's a great guy. But I heard that. I mean, John, you and I heard that throughout our t entire careers. Oh, this person's a great guy. This is a good guy. That may be so. There's a lot of good people. What are they good leaders? And it's extremely problematic that he's the interim interim police commissioner. It should have been within seconds. If she goes down, Key Chen Sul, he should be the guy in place. I mean, listen, I'm gonna be honest, Biden didn't get my vote. But God forbid, if Biden goes down and he can't and he can't continue on as president, the vice president takes over immediately, right? 
And so what makes this any different? But that's the problem. And again, if Ed Caban was not able to do it, the next person in line should be able to. But we have a problem. And you say it all the time. We don't have leaders at the top of the police department. We have managers. And there's a huge difference. Huge. And I, I find it extremely problematic because if we're in public safety, we're supposed to have many attributes, compassion, leadership. And we're supposed to understand people. And that means people in the public and also people within. And that's a difference. You call them managers, and I agree. Managers manage things. Leaders manage people. And I don't know if this guy is ready for the task. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't. I only know about favors being done, and he's a great guy, and he's a nice guy, and I'm sure he is. You know, I mean, because it's all people that I respect telling me this. But, you know, I hung out with a lot of cops that were great guys to be at a barbecue with. Great to go out drinking with, good to mess around with, funny text, talking smack, messing around, joking around. But they're not guys that I would want to follow as 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 be my leader that I would want to follow. And they're not even guys that I would want to sit in the radio car with or even have or, or be my subordinate. You know, so there's plenty of people I know that are great guys. They're not great cops. They're not great leaders. So and I'm not saying that he is or he isn't, but I haven't heard any of those things. I just haven't. That's just that's just my personal opinion on it. It took three weeks to name somebody, which is pathetic in itself. And then when you do name someone, you don't name the 46th police commissioner. Well, I can tell you this. I don't know him. I only know what I've heard about him as far as being a good guy. But as far as being a good leader and being the right, per right person for this position, first impressions are everlasting. So my first impression is the video that you're about to play. And I was not impressed. To me... This video, I, unfortunately, I have to compare. When we compare that to Ki Chen Sewell, who was extremely articulate, articulate, polished, classy, made a presence, really had a, an esteem uh, and a spirit to core. When you look at her, you say to yourself, she commands presence. I, I, I felt that she didn't walk into a room. She entered a room. And I'm sure that when she entered the room, she was acknowledged. She had that presence. And I don't feel the same presence from the video that I saw. About to play this video for you guys right now. Um, I do think uh, Caban has a presence in his look, and but we've we've never really heard him speak as the first deputy commissioner, and uh, I think you're going to hear why. Numbers and stats being down, but for the folks who live in these areas, for the residents there who see this violence, what's your message to them? Perception versus numbers. What would you tell residents? You know, thank you for that question, Mark. We acknowledge the fact that even one shooting is one too many. You know, I understand the concerns of the families affected by gun violence. I am a father, a husband, a brother. I grew up in the Bronx, in this city, and that's why I went to visit our five-year-old shooting victim, Zamaya, this past weekend. I understand their concerns about what we're doing. I think we have to have a real dialogue with everyone here in this room about the perception of gun violence and what everyone here contributes to that perception. You know, talk about how gun violence impacts our neighborhoods. I talked about 13 weeks in a row, gun violence being down in our city, how this past holiday weekend was the safest weekend in years. 
and that is because of the work that the men and women of the NYPD are doing. That matters. My question to all of you in this room is how are you going to tell this story to New Yorkers? Because that matters too. John, you and I spoke offline what we thought about his speech. I mean, listen, there's a por portion that sounds compassionate, right? He grew up in the Bronx. And the Bronx probably is, mo is the most ravaged right now with violence. It's completely volatile right now. I worked in, in housing in the South Bronx, and it's just uh, prolific when it comes to gun violence. But he says in there the perception of gun violence. I know what it means. I know what my subjective opinion of what he just said. What's your subjective opinion of what he means by perception of gun violence? Again, I'm going to go right back to Mayor Eric Adams and, and it, the minute he stepped into office when he said, we're not fighting crime, we're fighting the perception of crime. And here you go. He's just basically reiterating what Eric Adams is saying, what has said in the past. And I do agree with him that yeah, he, like he starts off well, like, you know, he's like, listen, one shooting is one too many shootings. The obviously the police can't stop everything from happening there, unfortunately, is going to be crime that we're going to have to deal with. So. We're not sitting there and and saying I don't I don't think me or Eric are sitting there and saying that they're responsible for every little thing that goes on. But I'm back in New York. I'm reconnecting with friends and family. Uh, I was at a barbecue. Uh, I was actually in the Jersey Shore, but I was sitting with all New Yorkers, and you know everybody's talking to me about crime, about all this. One lady lives in the city, and she tells me she doesn't go out past seven at night. When it gets dark, she doesn't go out in New York City. Now. I don't that's not this isn't a person that's a, a heavily a Republican or heavily a Democrat. This is more like a socialite type person that likes to go out to eat, hang out with friends, drink, not really on the news bandwagon, living her life around going out more than what the news is. Telling her, right. She probably doesn't even know what's going on. In the news. Um, and she says she doesn't go out past seven o'clock. I'm like, so that's not. Her perception, that's her reality. She, what she's seeing is she's saying, wait a minute, this isn't safe. There are things out here that aren't safe. And, you know, like you always say, like, yes, shootings are down 13 weeks in a row. Are the number of shots fired down 13 weeks in a row? Are they really compared to what you're, what's reported? Because um, I'm hearing a lot of things from a lot of guys, too. I don't care if a shot spotter goes off tonight. We're not taking that report. I don't care if the, if we get a shots fired. We're not taking that report. I hear. I actually just heard. I was just out to dinner right before I came here. I just heard the same thing. Um, you know, so it, is is violent crime down? Are, are we touting that it's down, like in small numbers, two three percent? But yet, grand larcenies, petit larcenies, uh, homeless everywhere, uh, a spit, random assault trees on the street. We're just gonna we're just gonna ignore those things. Well, major crimes down. So crimes down. Major crimes down, crimes down. Oh, I think that's exactly what they're doing. To me, this is like, it's like you go to uh, you go to a wedding, right? You see those tier cakes, right? It has the bottom tier, has a top tier, has different tiers, right? And there's different flavors, right? And, and if you look at it, right, it, it may look like it's all the same cake, but it's 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 actually not. It's different pieces. They're actually put together by sticks and things like that. And that's what's going on here. Yeah, at the top, the violent crime is probably down. Right. And there's a lot of factors, I think, that go with that. And it's not it, I mean, it's not just because the police department is doing a great job. There's a lot of factors out there. And I'm going to go into that. Why? In, in a second. But 
if we look at quality of life, which is the perception of crime, right? Because thank God most people don't live a violent crime every day. I mean, if, if we were living on a block and there was a shooting there every day, I mean, we might as well just live in Beirut. It's a complete war zone. But if your quality of life, your perception is that you're surrounded on a subway car by mentally deranged, by homelessness, uh, by complete poverty, just dirty, not taking care of people, smoking marijuana. Now, marijuana I, 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 is not the worst thing in the world, but just all this conglomerate together, it just it's not a good feeling, right? I don't want to go to a – when we go out to eat, we want a nice ambiance. It could be the best food. But I want to go somewhere where I feel comfortable. If I go somewhere that's not comfortable, my perception, right, is my reality. It's the same thing. But at the top tier, okay, let's say violent crime is down, right? But there's a lot of factors with that. What people don't understand is our response time now is by far better than it was in the 90s because of technology. So the response time is way better. Not only that, the amount of time that people had a chance of survival in the 90s compared to now is completely different. Why? When when someone goes into an ambulance now, there's already a connection with the operating room at the hospital. The operating room is already being prepared. So people have an 87% chance of survival by gun by gun battle, I'm sorry, by a, by a gunshot than they did in the 90s. It, it was a different rate because of we didn't have it set up where the operating room was set up with the ambulance. The response time wasn't as good as it now. Be. The technology right now is by far better. Cops have the technology with the phones. So I think there's a lot a, a lot of different factors because it's not the legislation that's helping us uh, completely the bail reform. So And it, it's also semantics, right? We're displacing crime, but we're not curbing it. We have a diminished police department. We put a large presence of police officers in a particular area and we move the crime and we could test the crime for that specific spot in the area and do tests for a short amount of time. Yeah, this particular week, crime is down. But as a whole, and for the entire city, I don't think it's reflective of that at all. No, I don't think so either. And 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 the other thing is most people I know that live in the city tell me they're not taking the train anymore and they're Ubering everywhere if they have to get around. That's another thing. So they're like putting hours on themselves. They're putting hours on themselves. And now they're they're limiting their modes of transportation based around what they perceive from their eyesight, not from Fox News. Not from New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast from their own eyes. I mean, these are New Yorkers. These are resilient, tough people. I mean, you know, they're not, you know, they've stayed, they live around millions of people. They've seen a lot of crazy things. They don't, they don't uh, scare easily. Um, but, but what do they do? They just, they, they move it. They, uh, they, you know, they see something go one way, they go the other way. Right. And that's what's happening now. Um, I do think that what the NYPD doing is doing is helping a little bit as far as they're flooding trains, they're flooding streets. They have this new, uh, this new uh, CRT unit. Right. And, you know, those are the guys with the khaki pants. I think those things are actually helping. Um, they're pushing numbers though, again, which is illegal. You're pushing quotas on people. Again, you're pushing quotas on people who are overworked and tired and, you know, and, 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 you know, and no offense to you guys in CRT. I, I think all you guys head and heart is in the right place. And I do, I think it's all in the right place. I think that you guys were me and Eric when we were young and we came out, but you're all rookies. You don't see clearly right now. Cause you're young guys. You're in your early twenties. I was dumb as shit in my early twenties. Um, and I, if my Sergeant told me to run through a brick wall, I would have. 
And now not only do you have your sergeant running through your brick, telling you to run through a brick wall, you have a three-star chief telling you to run through a brick wall. I think that your heart's in the in, in the right place. I do. And I think that you guys are helping bring crime down, but it's not sustainable what you guys are doing because the only, I would only recommend to, for people in that unit to do police work because if a patrol guy does what you guys are doing, they're not going to land. They're not going to have a long career. And I, and I personally don't think if, if I think when something goes bad, cause something will go bad with what's going on with all, with all of this, this broken windows theory into a progressive New York city and progressive policy, something will go bad. It's just the nature of police work, whether it's your fault or it's not. And, politicians will jump all over it. I think you're going to be left out to dry. And I don't think your chief's going to be anywhere to be found. Well, absolutely. Listen, I, I think the same thing that you said, I want to piggyback off that. I think the guys I think their heart is in the right place. I think the guys that are in this unit are the outliers right now in the job, right? Because the majority of the job, especially the young guys, they're meek, they're timid and docile. So these guys are the outliers that they found that want to do real police work. They want to do intrusive police work. They want to do. They want to be proactive. They want to get the bad guys out there. So listen, I commend them for that. You and I were the same guys. We wanted to do that, but unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately for them, they're now policing in an area that's completely impossible, and they just don't know it. Why? Because everyone has this belief that hey, it can't happen to me. It happened to Eric Dim, but it won't happen to me. But hey, listen, I'm trying to. I'm trying to inform them and warn them right now. It will be worse. I had to pay 3000 out of my own pocket for a stop that was deemed abuse of authority by the Civilian Complaint Review Board. The job thought it was okay, but the Civilian Complaint Review Board found me guilty, and I had to pay out of my own pocket because I was not indemnified for that lawsuit. That was 3000 John, you and I talk about it. These guys are doing some real pro prolific stuff, and things are only getting worse. Who knows how much they might have to pay in their pockets if things go bad? Right now, listen, honestly, I, I, I like I said, I, I know that they want to do real police work and they are helping, but it's a short burst, right? This is a short-term solution. It's not a long-term solution because these guys cannot go on in this career like that. Yes, right now they have a blanket of protection. They have a three-star chief. They have a legal team. They have all these people protecting them. But how long could that blanket, how long could that bubble stay safe until someone pops that, bu that bubble, like the attorney general, or someone starts to keep an eye on him? My opinion, Chief Shell is the fall guy in this. He's a white alpha male that's been put in this position, and if things go bad, he may be lucky to go out un unscathed. He will retire immediately, but his underlings will face some serious problems. They're the ones that are going to have the lawsuits, and if they continue with these car chases and pursuits, if one goes bad, unfortunately, they might find themselves in jail. And don't say it can't happen to me. They just convicted a Newark police officer who was involved in a chase that ended up into a shootout. All right. And from what I read in the, in the information I had that he, he was he was looked upon from his police department as, as doing the right thing, that he was involved in, in, in a good shoot. But he was convicted of manslaughter. Don't think it can't happen to you. I mean, I just think this is crazy stuff going on here right now. They're policing right now. Like it's 1985 or 1990 in a broken system in this modern era. I, I just think they're set up for failure. Absolutely. I think that Chief Shell's heart is in the right place, but I don't think that his head is in the right place as a leader. He should be looking to protect these young guys. 
not sending them out there to the wolves. And, you know, we had, uh, uh, you know, we, we, you know, and I, he keeps coming at us on Twitter and a, a retired assistant commissioner. I don't know. He's trying to get cloud. He's cloud chasing. I don't know what, what's going on with it, but you know, he basically said, we all knew what we signed up for. And no, he didn't sign up for what you guys are dealing with. I didn't sign up for what you guys are dealing with. We signed up to go do police work when we were protected. Chief shell is bringing back the old NYPD to the new New York city. And it's not going to fly. All right. General Patton isn't returning to the United States army on the general Milley. It's not happening. You know, you're not going to bring that style back into a city where you're not changing any of the policy. So I, you know, I, I think this is a good segue into the next, what, what I want to get into is basically NYPD car chases are up 600%. What do you got to say about that, Eric? Listen, I just think it's insane. It's, I mean, in this particular video, which Chief Shell speaks, they talk about car chases, but what's even more dangerous is chasing these scooters and these ATVs. Now, listen, they're a complete nuisance in the city. I hate seeing them, too. I mean, these guys are involved in shootings, robberies. Some of them are just, just to create just complete havoc, just, just a nuisance on quality of life. But to get involved in one of those chases, You'll either kill yourself or they'll kill themselves. And believe me, when that makes national news, these guys will be hung out to dry. And forget about termination. If you just get terminated, you're lucky. You'll be going to jail. If you chase someone on a scooter and they die and this makes national news, you go to jail. And then you say, oh, wow. But Chief Shell, you know, he was pumping us up and telling us, hey, we're good to go. Listen, I like his ideology. I do. We should get the bad guys off the street. But it's not a time right now. We're not getting support from the legislation and the politicians so that we can go do that right now. So this chief right now is 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 put you know is lighting the match and he's he's putting a battery in these young cops who don't know any better and he's setting them up for failure and he knows it. And you know what, John? You and I talk about this, right? The job is aware that there's going to be a certain amount of casualties. But so and I'm and I'm warning these cops right now. If you go out there and do this kind of work and you're getting involved in these chases. The only thing you'll have left is those khakis because you're going to be paying so much in lawsuits and you'll probably end up in jail. So you need to wake up and think about that. You are the one who's going to be holding the bag. This is dangerous stuff. You're the one that's going to have to answer for the vehicle pursuit, especially the sergeants and the lieutenants, especially the sergeants and the lieutenants, but the young guys too, because everybody's going to be running to save their own skin. 221.15. That is, that is, that is the patrol guide order. 221.15, date effective, 7.14.22. So this is a new order, right? Came out last year, right? I'm not going to go into the whole thing. Most of it's about tactics. You should read it if you haven't already because it's good to know who should be the lead car. You know, it talks about not having your sirens on, constant blare, so that, you you know, you actually hear the other sirens coming so you don't crash into each other. Has a lot of good tactics, but I'm not going to go into all that. I'm just going to go into the parts that you're going to get hung on. And then we're going to listen to chief shell and what he's saying. Uh, But I just want to read this for you. Uniform member of the service, primary vehicle, right? That's the actor. That's the actor. That could be a cop. That could be a sergeant. That could be a Lieutenant. That's whoever initiated the pursuit, right? You will initiate a vehicle stop when feasible, but obviously this is a vehicle pursuit. So the person's not pulling over. You will determine the necessity for commencing and continuing a vehicle pursuit by considering the following, the nature of the offense, the time of day, the weather condition, 
the location and population density, the capability of a department vehicle and the familiarity with the area, right? So you can get beat up about all of these things. Oh, you chased a guy because he had a gun, but he didn't shoot anybody, right? Um, it was the middle of the day and you're chasing someone at three o'clock on 52nd Street and 5th Avenue. It was the middle of the day. What are you out of your mind? The density of the location. It, we, it's New York City. It's always dense. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in the slowest part of Staten Island. It's a dense populated area. You should probably never. You should probably just density alone. You should probably never. You should probably terminate the pursuit for that. The capability of the department vehicle the, and the weather condition. Obviously, you're going to be familiar with the area if you have time on the job and you work in that, in that place. But I mean, any of these factors will be used against you. These are not there to help you in any way. And then the note which basically says don't chase vehicles is this department policy requires that a vehicle pursuit be terminated whenever the risks to the uniform members of the service and the public outweigh the danger to the community. If the suspect is not immediately apprehended, if the chase is terminated Members will attempt to obtain sufficient information to affect the apprehension. Before I play that video, Eric, what do you think about those things I just said? Well, first of all, I'm not going to lie, right? I was a special operations lieutenant. I was an anti-crime sergeant. I was a busy cop. I I was involved in numerous and several car pursuits, but and also scooters and ATVs, right? And I can tell you this: anytime I was involved in a in a chase with a scooter or an ATV, it was a disaster. And I remember towards the end of my career, I even told a couple of guys that was work that were working for me that were driving. I was like, some of these scooters, I was like, listen, just let them go. Forget about it. You know, I saw what was happening. Guys were getting trouble when, when uh, some of these guys were crashing scooters. And anyone knows if you chase a scooter or an ATV, it's terrible. But also some of these car chases I, I was involved with where we retreat, we, we retreat firearms, I mean, some of the worst perps in the city. And even then, what you just said is exactly what they said to you. They said to me, what the hell are you doing? Are you crazy? Are you mad? And that that was already a seven, a several, several years ago. And now it's just only worse. Uh, I mean, all that stuff that you read tells me that the patrol guide actually did not change much. From my recollection, it's pretty much the, it's, it's, it's the same as it was before. If I'm... If I'm if I'm actually confident in this and I'm actually knowledgeable to my is if my information is correct, the only change in this procedure is actually pursuing a car that's trying to ram uh, ram pedestrians in some type of terrorist attack. And I think that's the only reason why this procedure was updated for that reason. Other than that, it's apparent nothing has changed. And the department has always been very cautious when it comes to pursuits. And I would say unless someone is you, in real time, you saw someone shooting out the window at a five-year-old kid, and you actually saw it and could pursue that car, or there was a kid abduction, that's the only time I would get involved in a pursuit. Other than that, I, I would completely refrain from it. And I know it's hard to say that, right? Because if you're a real cop, it's in your blood. You see that, you're going to pursue that car. I mean, it's it's easy for me to say, don't do it, right? Because I, I, I did stupid stuff too, but I got lucky, and I got uh, unscathed. I don't know if these guys will get so lucky right now. And you and I know, with the body cameras, all the footage that's going on, the pressure just keeps mounting. The New York City Council keeps chipping away at the police department. I won't be the most most complaint cop anymore. The guys in the khakis will. I, don't, I think anything short of a terrorist attack, a child abduction, 
a, a murderer who has a potential to murder others that same day, I, w- I would not be involved in vehicle pursuits. We've been terminating vehicle pursuits for years, as long as I've been on the job. As long as I've been on the job, it's frowned upon to, to do that. And, and you know, from a public safety standpoint, I, I, I don't want the cops racing through down my block to go get somebody that has a suspended registration or even possibly an illegal firearm in the car that he didn't use it or whatever the case may be. I don't, I don't want to risk my family getting killed by either that guy fleeing or the cop. So I think, I think it's a detriment to public safety. Um, so that that's one. So I was never big on vehicle pursuits. I have been involved in several. Um, I called off two of them. People called me a, a pussy. I okay. I don't care. All those guys kept their job. Actually, the majority of those guys retired. Good standing. A couple other of them went on to have successful careers, and they're still they're still working now. And you know they said things behind my back, and I didn't care. I said whatever. I don't I don't care. It was over nothing. It was over bullshit. Nobody would have cared. Somebody would have died. They would have got hung out to dry. And that was when police work was applauded, and and you could actually do it. And you had the support of of the new of New York City mayor of the police commissioner. You had a clear message of what we were doing. These guys do not have that. And and you know I'm gonna play a video from Chief Shell, and he's explaining to the media why pursuits are up six hundred percent. And I honestly. Like I said, I think his heart's in the right place, but I think he's done. Are we not supposed to engage a scooter that drives down Familiar Avenue in uh, Washington Heights with two occupants, with cops standing 50 feet away, riding a sea, someone's urination, and someone jumps off that moped, walks off the gentleman in front of his building, enjoying Fourth of July, shoot and kill him? Are we not supposed to engage that? We will. So, yes. And then with the enforcement of more moving summonses and car stops and people thinking they can take off on us, those days are over. So, yes, vehicle pursuits are up. We have better monitoring from our supervisors. I'll say it again. The days of driving around this city lawless doing what you think you're going to do, it's over. You know, listen, again, it sounds like his heart's in the right place, right? It sounds like he, you know, he wants to be a little bit of a, a cowboy and a superhero in his position as a chief. From my understanding, what I hear, he's out in the street with these guys. So for that, I will commend him, right? That's always been my philosophy is to leave from the front. So I will commend him that he's out there. But right now, this is a very fortunate unit, right? This unit is highly protected. I mean, that's why they're in these khakis so that they can be easily identifiable. But my message is to the general population, the NYPD. Do not listen to what this three-star chief is telling you because this doesn't apply to you. This only applies to his unit because those are the guys that are protected right now, but only for so long. As I said, a bubble a bubble can be nice looking, right? You can touch it, but if you pierce it enough, it's going to burst, and that's what's going to happen with this bubble. If we get the right people poking around, they're going to burst right through it. And my indi- and listen, my understanding and the indication that I've been, uh, I've been hearing is that these guys have been involved in some real prolific stuff where, where car chases have went bad already. Um, so they've been a good, they've done a good job of keeping this under wraps. But there will come a time they won't be able to keep it uh, secret, and it will make national news. I mean, it's just uh, the probability when you engage in car pursuits for it to go bad is extremely high. And God forbid you chase someone and you kill a five-year-old kid because they were shooting, you know, because maybe 
two rival gangs were shooting at each other. You know what? I'd rather those rival gang members shooting at each other than some five-year-old kid get mowed down by a car. It's just not worth it. Honestly, I, as, as I said, I engaged in some car pursuits. But throughout my career, I, I learned, you know, as we got older and wiser, it's just not worth it. I'd rather that the five-year-old kid can play in the streets than, than these rival gang members shooting at each other. It's unfortunate, but we have to outweigh, just as you just said, outweigh the risk and the circumstances. Yeah, so, and I'm hearing that, like, I'm hearing from supervisors that they're getting a lot of shit personally from him if they terminate pursuits. Um, <laughs> if, so, basically, if they terminate a pursuit because they followed the order, right? Because that's the order. That's that's the book. That's the guide. I don't want to hear it's just a guide because when you violate it, it's not just a guide. It's 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 the it's the holy Bible. Then you know it's it's so he's putting pressure to pursue vehicles, which could lead to bad decisions. Pressure to get activity, which also could lead to bad decisions. Um, in an overworked, understaffed NYPD, I agree with his first statement. Guy got off a scooter, shot somebody in the head. They pursued a murderer. We're going to get that guy. I agree with him 1,000%. You know, he'd be, he'd be a good mayor. I'd like to have this guy as the mayor in New York City. I don't want him as the chief of patrol, though, because he's going to get cops hurt. He's going to get cops hurt. I mean, listen, we're, we're at risk of, of physical injury or death doing our job. And I don't mean he's he, I don't mean that to be his fault. I mean, he's going to get cops hurt as far as they're going to be fired. They're going to have very hard times in their career to get promoted and move forward. Or they're going to go to jail. They're going to be prosecuted. That's how he's going to get cops hurt. That's how I mean. Well, so I agree with you. In the beginning, in the beginning, what he said is definitely applicable. I mean, someone just fired around off a scooter and someone gets shot and this is in real time. Yes. But then he goes on to say that if you're stopping a car and you're, and you're writing a summons and they're taking off on you, that we're not going to allow that. Honestly, that's not worth it. You're writing this. First of all, in this day and age, I'm surprised that these guys are going out and they're hustling to write write summonses anyway, especially with this new card to identify if you're racially profiling based on your stops. You're putting yourself at some real risk with these stops. Completely not worth it. To go out there and get guns, I'm all for it. But with these car stops and then you write a summons and someone takes off and you're going to pursue them and then God forbid someone gets killed because you were writing them a ticket. And we know we see the ban through that throughout the entire country right now in democratic cities. The people don't want you doing car stops. So believe me, it's not going to go over well. I think this is a bad message. And then he goes on to say that there's better monitoring right now. What does he mean by that? Nothing. That's fluff. Absolute fluff. What's 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 going to be his comment when the statistic comes out that the majority of car chases, the overwhelming majority of car chases, are against black and brown people? Well, what, we know it. Is he is he is he gonna is he gonna pander to the community then, or is he gonna actually tell the truth? Well, I think at that point, if he wants to keep his job and stay in the position that he's in, or have a prestigious career to move up even further, he's going to have to pander. And you know, and I know, look. Right now, it's a 54% minority majority. More stops are being conducted on black and brown, even with a black male. Why? Because 96% of the victims of shootings and 96% of the suspects of shootings in our city are black and brown. So you said it on a tweet. It's 100%. We don't racially profile. We profile based on criminality. And the crime reflects 
the amount of stops, the crimes reflect the chases, the pursuits, the crimes reflect the victims, and the, and, and it's also surrounded by black and brown. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality. Yeah, so the city put out an article today about this that, that uh, basically, you know, some have actually ended in death. The attorney general's looking at some of these pursuits. But what they did put in there is they put a map of where the vehicle pursuits have been taking place, and they did it for the years. And if you look at it, if you look at the map in New York City, and you look at where these vehicle pursuits are happening, they're happening in lower-income black and brown neighborhoods. You know, are there, are there some random one-offs in Staten Island? Yeah, there's some random one-offs in Staten Island. But, there's, but the majority of them, even there, are happening in black and brown communities and lower-income black and brown communities. So, again, I, I, I applaud the chief for being out there and running around with these guys. But I think the same way, whether he knows it or not, whether you know it or not, Chief, I know you listen to this, and, and Police Commission, I know you listen to this. Intro, 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 acting, acting, acting. <laughs> I think they're all acting now, but uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> whether you, <laughs> but whether you know it or not, whether you know it or not, you're sending these guys out to put the weight of New York City progressive legislation and policy on themselves as individuals. Find the financial risk burden, the danger burden, everything. You're putting it on them to act alone. And you're doing it yourself, Chief. Whether you see it or not, you are being used as well. I applaud the effort. I do. I don't think your head's in the right place. I don't think you're doing the right thing by your people. And I'm going to keep saying it, whether you like it or not. Whether the police commissioner likes to hear what's going on or what people are saying or not. John, you and I say it all the time, and I'm going to say it again. This chief in particular is sending the cops to their own slaughter. And I guarantee it right now. These young rookies, if they have an opportunity to watch this, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say we're assholes. Honestly. They're going to say these two don't know what they're talking about. You know what? We're smarter than they were. Right? Because the, the generation always thinks they're smarter than the generation before them. And you know what? Listen, if that's what you want to think, God bless you. I wish you well. We're trying to fight for you. And we're trying to educate you. We want to keep you safe. Like I said, I think the Chief's heart is in the right place for the most part. Yes, he's out there with the guys. I think he supports his guys. But I also think it's about his own prestigious uh, movement with his own career. Does he believe he would be the fall guy? I don't think he believes it. I do think he's being used. It's very convenient that it's a white chief in charge of his unit. And if things go bad, it's a white chief that's going down. And it's complete racism towards whites right now in the New York City Police Department. Complete discrimination. And the cops are in this unit right now. They think it won't happen to them. Why do they feel like superheroes? They feel like they're running around with capes right now. They're the guys wearing khakis. Nobody else wears khakis. They got a legal team. They have chiefs with them. I mean, they must feel like they have, they, they are working it with a bulletproof vest in their entire body. And they have this force field. And it's great to feel that way. It must feel fantastic. But how long will that last? And ask yourselves, it, honestly, if you're facing indictment, is Chief Shell going to be at that grand jury? Is he going to be there with you? And if you, you get a lawsuit and you have to pay 3000 if you're lucky, because I'm sure it'll be more by then, is he going to dip into his pocket and say, hey, I told you to pursue these cars? Is he going to help you monetarily? What do you think? I think not. I mean, I think what they're thinking is the same thing that you thought, the same thing I thought. It's got to be done. Somebody's got to do it. I'm the guy that's going to do it. Right. But I just want to I just want to put this into everybody's head. 
remember Danny Panaleo. Remember Danny Panaleo. Because Danny Panaleo gets sent out by Philip Banks' office to go out and go after a minor crime that day. Goes after a minor crime, tries to talk the guy down, does a very professional job talking to the guy. Guy refuses to be arrested. Refuses. Um, wrestles very slightly with the guy. Takes the guy to the ground, handcuffs him. He follows exactly to a T his police training. He follows exactly to a T the patrol guide. Right? He takes the guy down, handcuffs him, puts him on his side to promote free breathing. They show signs of distress, call an ambulance. Call an ambulance and he's sergeant. He does exactly that. And he gets fired because that gentleman had a heart attack and died. Now I'm going to change it to you guys. Remember Panaleo again. He didn't violate the patrol guide. When you get involved in a bad pursuit, you will have violated that patrol guide. That 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 patrol guide procedure, that part that I just read out, will be read out at your trial. It will be read out in your IAB investigation. And it will be read out at your CCRB investigation or your inspection investigation. Uh, investigation. I'm letting you guys know right now. Anything short of what of what Chief Shell saying, where where there's a murder taking place, there's a kidnapping, there's a terrorist attack, there's someone going out shooting people, uh, stabbing people, whatever it may be. This guy's not in immediate danger. You're out of your mind to do it. If you're a sergeant and a lieutenant and you're scared to get yelled at, you're out of your mind. Get yelled at for terminating that pursuit. Well, I'd actually even argue this even further and say that every pursuit violates that patrol guide procedure. Every single car pursuit, even even in a homicide situation. Why? Because it's completely subjective, right? It says if it outweighs, if it outweighs the circumstances, the totality of circumstances, right? Any situation we could say outweighs that situation. If someone shoots a, a known gang member on the street, right? Yeah. And then you continue in a pursuit. And in that pursuit, there's three small kids playing in the middle of the street, and three five-year-old kids, three five-year-olds, God forbid, God forbid, I don't want them to have, but three five-year-old kids are playing in the street, and they get mowed down and killed. I think that outweighs their lives, outweigh this life of this gang member. Every life is important, yes, even a gang member. But I'm sorry, three five-year-olds who are innocent in this world, their lives matter more than this gang member. And that outweighs that. So I would say that every pursuit violates the patrol guide. It's completely subjective. And they will be hung out to dry. So they're really putting their own lives at risk. They really are. Yeah, you're, you're no longer working for the New York City Police Department. If you're taking it upon, and that's what I told Eric. I said, you know what, you, you know what happened at the end of your career is that you you made it Eric Dim's Police Department. You didn't. You weren't following the, the, the NYPD's because NYPD was telling you, don't go out there. Don't do these stops. Don't do these vehicle pursuits. Look, read our procedure. The procedure is telling you not to do it. I mean, yeah. it all but says it. It all but says it. And now there's no – he hasn't made mention to, to, to the procedure because he knows it violates the procedure. It's an inconvenient fact, right? So what will he do? He goes on social media. He goes on news. And, and he's blasting basically me and Eric because we're the only ones that said anything about it, <laughs> saying we're going we're gonna to fight crime. We're not going to let these guys get away with this. Applaud the effort. Um, unfortunately, if it continues, if something's not changed, you guys are going to be left out to dry. One of these, 
chases, unfortunately, will go bad. The laws of probability say that it's a high probability that there's going to be a, a death, a prolific death that will make national news at these car chases. And unfortunately, I don't want to see any death. But it's just the laws of probability. You're working in a metropolis of eight and a half million people, driving around at 90 some odd miles an hour, chasing cars that are unpredictable where they're going to go. Your heart's racing. Yes, it's in the right place. You want to get the bad guys. We all want to get the bad guys. That's why I was out there as a special operations lieutenant. I wanted to make these neighborhoods better. We wanted to get the bad guys. But the politicians and legislation, they don't want you to do it. Why? I gave this I gave this analogy today, talking on TNT radio, right? And I mean this. Right now, the police department, the laws, New York City, it's like playing Jenga, right? You take the brick out and you put it in another spot. And by the end of the game, if it doesn't topple, it looks great, right? It looks like a structure. It looks like it's a place. But you just blow on it and the whole thing's going to crumble. And that's what's going on right now with our, our system, our legislative system, the way the NYPD treats our cops. You can just blow on it and the whole thing is going to implode. So if you think that this system is working and that you're doing and that the politicians and the media is going to support you because you're getting the bad guys, they are not going to support you. Again, it's a short-term solution. Yes, you guys are out there getting violent perpetrators, firearms, stolen cars. It's necessary. But you need the support. You can't do it right now. Now's the time to wait. What the chief should say at this point is say, I have I have men and women that are well-trained. They're in the position to do these pursuits if needed. But we need support. If we have support, we can do it to get these bad guys off the street. But he's telling them to go do it right now, knowing that one or more of these guys will get indicted. I'm telling you right now, we're foreshadowing. It's a fore I don't want to see it happen, but it will. I mean, it's an inconvenient truth. You know, it's it's definitely going to happen. I'm not going to be happy when it does. We're not going to be like, oh, well, see, we told you. No, I don't. Uh, of course not. Yeah, you know, but it it it's a hundred percent is. Um, I don't really know what else more to say about that. You know, that the vehicle pursuits. I think Shell's. I think Shell is a good cop. I think he's a good guy. I think he has a good heart. I think he cares about public safety. Overall, I think he's real being real short sighted on this. Real stupid. Real dumb. It's unfortunate too. Like I said, you know, I I, I like his ideology. Like, he sounds like he wants to be a real cop, which is great. Get the bad guys off the street. Go out there with the cops. I mean, their unit is a is is quite different than most of the units. He's not going around with the neighborhood safety team guys. He's not going around with general population wearing a blue top and blue bottoms. He's with these guys that are wearing khaki pants. They had a legal team, this specialized unit. Uh, you know, this is Adam's baby, Chief Madry's baby. I mean, these guys are well protected. It sounds great, but this is not the reality. This is so for everyone else. If you're a neighborhood safety teams, if you're doing public safety, or you're just a cop on patrol and you like to do proactive police work and intrusive police work, don't get involved in these car chases. The, the, you know, this chief is trying to rile you up. It sounds great, but no one's going to back you. It, it's really unfortunate, and you're putting your lives at risk. And 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 how are you going to explain to your family? You know what? I got involved in this car chase, and, and the chief pumped us up and told us to go out there and do it. And now I'm going to jail. And that's what's going to happen. And Chief Shell's not going with you, honestly. Look, look back. How do we predict the future? It's by reflection of the past. Chief Monaghan, when things got hot after the riots of George Floyd protests and riots, he retired, right? He was in the hot seat and he retired. Right now, these coffee suits, in my opinion, are far worse than anything that was engaged in these riots. And he'll retire immediately. You won't see him again. And these cops will be standing there, like I said, and all they have left is a pair of khakis.
I agree. And I, and I do think they targeted the younger guys for a reason. They know you guys don't know the patrol guide. They know you guys don't know the procedure. They know you guys are less likely to speak up. They know you guys are a ball of fire. They know you guys want to do the right thing. Um, you know, you got all that testosterone. You feel good. Everything's good. You're going out there to do the right thing. You're going out there to protect the innocent people. You're going out there to get bad guys. But they're using that because, honestly, every year that I worked on that street, I got a whole lot smarter than I was the year before. And you guys are young as shit. I'm looking at all of you. I'm like, and I see it every time there's a post, but you guys standing there. It's like, yeah, well, there's, there's like 50 of you at one scene. And they're like, there's 50 of them at one, one scene on, on July 4th. And I was looking at all the comments from the active cops. And they were saying, yeah, uh, there's 50 guys there. They got about 10 years of experience combined about all of them. And you could tell. I mean, it's very young guys, very young girls. You could tell. I mean, and I and I do believe that that is, was done on purpose to be able to run you guys through a brick wall. This was completely orchestrated, 100%. First of all, anyone that has enough time on the job, it has a point where they've gotten wiser and actually the novelty has worn off and they actually understand policing and also the politics that surround it, right? Because when you get on the job, John, you said it, you and I both, when you get on the job, you don't understand the politics that surround policing. You just, you're, you're there because you want, you actually want to do some good. You want to help the public. You want to do police work, but you don't understand that somehow you could actually be hung to dry and you could just be some political pawn until later on as your career starts to develop. And even at the end of my career with, with all the civilian complaints I had received and I was talking about it all this other civilian complaint review board, I still thought in the back of my mind that somehow the NYPD and the citizens would stand up and say, listen, we can't let this guy go. We got to stand up and protect him. This guy is out here really helping the neighborhood, saving lives. His guys are you know, are, are phenomenal. They, they're there. Their hearts are in the right place. But nobody stood up, honestly. they If anything, they drove the train right over me. They drove the bus over me because they had to continue in their lives and their careers. You know what? And it's the reality. I'm not in the police department anymore. The police department is still functioning. People are still out there fighting crime. You know, it didn't matter. In the end, I was just a number like everyone else, and I was expendable. And so are they. It's unfortunate. And you guys are doing a, phen a phenomenal job, and I respect that you're out there and you want to do police work, especially this time. But I don't want to see you get hurt, honestly. I really don't. So I hope you just take our food for thought. And if you don't, well, Godspeed. Absolutely. We still support you, you know. Um, what do you think about the body cameras with the new live view that Axon came out with, where somebody could access your body camera without your camera actually being on? So that actually confirms that those things are recording all the time. Well, I, it's unbelievable. I, it, it's crazy to me. I mean, you had said it. You foreshadowed this. You said, you, you, do you think it's actually possibly on at all times and live? I mean, uh, it, it's scary. Viral News had said something. And you know what? It, it actually piqued my interest. I'm not a, I'm not a computer guy. I'm not a, a computer savvy guy. But he said, Is it po maybe it's possible someone could hack into it also. I, I'm curious if, if someone could have the capability to do that. Listen, here's the thing. They're saying that it has to be established over a secure Wi-Fi connection. They're saying that the reason these cops could see the live view on their phone is because that phone and their body camera have a secure Wi-Fi connection and they could go through it, right? And that's great. But, though, but you're telling me that department phones can't be hacked? Department databases could be hacked. The department intranet's been hacked. Um, 
what else has been hacked? Uh, the the equipment section website's been hacked. Um, anything can be hacked if it's going out over Wi-Fi. If it's going out over Wi-Fi, it can be great. I I don't care whatever you want to tell me, high level, low level. I don't believe it needs to be that high level. That signal could be grabbed. My other thing is this. What's it for? Nobody answered. Nobody answered the question. What's it being used for? That's a great question. Actually, I I think it's definitely possible something it could get hacked into. I remember years ago, I had I was contacted from the VA and uh, just to let me know to be careful of if I see anything on my credit report, be careful and be aware that the potential for identity theft, because numerous social security numbers were were hacked into and stolen from the VA, and this is a government agency, the VA. All right, who says it can't happen to the police department? Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, why is this even happening? What's the purpose of it? I, I mean, I have to assume to to that, you know, they'll say something with tactics when you're on a job. We want to be able to see live view when you're on a job, something like that. But I mean, when are the times you can access it? If you can access it at any time, if it's for your supervisor to see what you're doing. I mean, that's there's real, real privacy issues there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, how many times how many times have uh, have you went to the bathroom with the camera on? I mean. I think there's, there's, there's huge privacy problems in it. Going to the bathroom or just just even uh, eating lunch or having a minute to yourself. I mean, I mean, this is to, to me, I think this is another dampering effect on the mental health of police officers, actually knowing that this ha- they have the capability to, I mean, now they have to be concerned about the con- you know intimate conversations they have in the car with their, with their partner. I mean, your partner, something, if you're doing patrol or anything on a team, your partner is very important to you. This is someone that you spend more time with than your loved ones at home. This is someone that you know that, that you depend on for your life, and they depend on to you. So you're going to have you're going to have personalized conversations about your life, and uh, obviously that these cameras have the capability to to hear and see everything. And John, you had said this, and I was hoping this wasn't true, but you called it, brother. I mean, my thing is, you know, it, it, there's so many things. I mean, if you're a guy, first off, you're not taking that camera off to pay. Like, you're just not. You're no, just, absolutely not. You're not. I and, never did. And then I, I, I got to imagine the same thing for a girl. If you're not in the precinct, you're not going to feel good enough to take that camera off. And even if you do, that thing is still in the room at somewhere, right? Because you have to secure a department property. You can't just leave it. So what are we doing? We're going to bring it to a secure locker, lock the body camera in our locker so that we could use the bathroom. No, you're going to do what you got to do right then and there. Same Absolutely. thing on those mom of our pods and they, and, and the women breastfeed and they're going to, that, that bulletproof vest is going to be staring across from them with the, with the camera on them. That camera is going to be in that room, whether it specifically sees you or not, it could hear you. Right. And, you know, and, and again, you know, we talked about the ability to decompress, right? Because this job is stressful. I don't want to go into a whole story about being watched or whatever, but I've been watched before on this job um, by actual people, right? Off duty, not on duty. Um, on duty, you feel like inspections is watching you, pre-body camera. Inspections, IABs, setting up jobs, calling in fake 911 jobs. They got Group 52 running around, Right. You constantly feel watched. Every civilian's watching you. Um, criminals are watching you. Your supervisors are watching you. The that radio's clicking. You're waiting to go. These all have mental effects on your health. 
right? Like they, 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 these are things that are going to catch up to you later on in life, even when you retire. Um, like that constant pressure that you felt your whole life, right? Because your resting stress level is going to be super high. But my point is this. We took that, we multiplied it by putting a body camera on people at jobs. And now that the pressure's there at that job, right? To be perfect on that job. So we've added to that mental stress significantly with just that. Now this adds a whole new element that at all times you are being recorded. At all times, somebody could listen into your conversation. So you had a bad day. You got into it. Your lieutenant was an asshole to you or your sergeant was an asshole to you. And you're just sitting there talking shit with your partner and you're venting. McCarry's a fucking asshole. Dim's a fucking asshole. That, you know, fuck them. This, that, the other thing. You don't mean anything by it. You're just venting. And now they hear you. And it, it's huge privacy concerns. Huge concerns on mental health. Unmute yourself. Uh, sorry, I don't know how this thing got muted. But it's a huge... This is a huge... I find this extremely problematic, right? Huge privacy concern. But let's talk about the disciplinary matrix, right? In there, you can be terminated for hate speech. So what if you're having a conversation, you just went on a job, and for some reason, whatever the case is, you're really perturbed by that job. You were told you were told some vi viral things several times, right? And you're in the car having a discussion with your partner, and you're venting. And you're saying... Maybe you're saying some things that are completely off-color. You don't mean it, but you're venting. And now they hear your conversation. Could you be terminated for hate speech? Could that be weaponized against you? I mean, it's a complete intrusion. Does that conversation count? What do you think? I think 100%. And I think, I think honestly, I think it's sneaky as shit. I think they've been listening to people for this whole fucking time. If this comes out that this whole thing is, there's real sneaky shit that's been going on. And, and honestly, people should have to answer for it. People should have to answer for it. Whoever known about this should have to answer for it. There's somebody that knows that these body cameras record always. Somebody knows. Because if it can play always, it's recording always. I don't, I don't want to hear it. If, it. if it starts five seconds back when you click it on or however many seconds back, that means it's always recording, right? And that's the thing that we talked about, right? If it's starting backwards on you, then how is it not recording the whole time? Absolutely. What about the locker rooms? I mean, there's locker rooms, right? They're, they're, they're there for privacy concern. We have locker rooms that are specifically assigned to females. So you have a group of women getting changed. Exactly what you said. They take their uniform out of their locker. They hang it up. The body camera is on there from the night before, right? And they're getting changed, and it's a completely intrusion on their own privacy. Same thing in the, in, in the men's locker room, in the bathrooms, in the showers. I mean, people are walking around with their body cameras on, right? While people are in the locker rooms getting changed, this is a complete intrusion. Exactly. The, the conversations that are going on are completely off color. You know, talking about jobs they've been involved with, situation, just talking about life. What if a guy, what if a guy had a bad day with his wife and he says, ah, fuck, fuck her, I'm going to kill her. He doesn't really mean it, but he's just talking. And now that's on the camera. No, absolutely. I mean, how far can this go? Anything. I, I could go super far, dude. I mean, it, it, they're going to see your whole conversation on your telephone while you're sitting there. If you're texting, like you're texting your wife texting your boyfriend maybe they send a picture they probably shouldn't something like that you know all these things every, everything can be taken and used against you um i think it's a big big problem i don't think guys 
care enough, you know, I, I, I think, I think it's a major problem. I think it's a huge problem. And I think the, the effect on mental health, you will see much more anxiety, much more mental health issues come out of this. You'll see another, another round of, of suicides come in through the pressure as people adjust to this new thing that I am constantly being watched and listened to. This is completely dehumanizing the cops. How could you have any type of human element knowing this information that we have right now? I'm sure everyone in the department is completely aware of it. 24-7, all right? And that's when these guys are pretty much working. They're working 12, 13 hours a day, seven days a week because it's a diminished police department. And they have to be concerned for the entire time, for 12, 13 hours, that they're doing patrol, whatever case that they're doing on the street, present, standing by a, by a, a train platform. Wearing that body camera, having to be concerned that they can't have a normal conversation with their partner, venting so that they could just maintain their sanity. This is definitely another aspect. Again, this goes back to what we say. Policing is a tough profession. It takes a toll on, on your mindset. Right? But it doesn't necessarily lead to suicide. But the internal pressures of the NYPD, we're seeing the epidemic. And this is just a this is just another additive and another contributing factor. It's, it's, it, it, we have a huge problem here. And, and unfortunately, I mean, there's perverts that have slipped through the cracks and the captain that was looking in the, in the, made the people in the, in the girl's locker room was looking in the girl's locker room. There's bosses that have get interests in women or, or even men the other way around. And now they're watching you all day long because they're being real creeps. I mean, there, there's, there's just too much stuff for that. I mean, that's got to be answered. That should be made not only public to the police, but it should be made public to the public. Exactly what this live view is for. Exactly the exact functionality of that body camera. And honestly, if it shouldn't be us talking about it again. It should be the unions talking about it. It should be every single one of them. What is going on with this body camera? Who made this decision? How long did we know this? Because guess what? That 2.5%, that was not for that. That 2.5% was not for you to be watched all day long, every day, to worry about even when you're going to the bathroom. That was not for that. So there's a big problem. You were lied to. Who lied? Who knew? People should be fired, honestly. People should be fired, sued, everything. Honestly. Because people, like, this is another thing that how could you trust this leadership Go out there and be like, oh, don't worry, just violate that order. I got your back because we're not going to stand for it. And Mayor Adams even came here in some fancy khaki pants to support you guys. Like, how could you feel safe and feel your best interest is there when you're being lied to? You know what? You just said something which is which is true and it's accurate, right? We shouldn't be the ones that have to speak out for the cops. It should be the unions. But we are. We've become the conciliators. Right, I saw some tweets that have been put out by Pat Hendry lately. I know you did. You retweeted him. We both did. And it was almost verbatim of stuff that you and I had said in this podcast. We've never heard the PBA speak out in the manner that they are doing now. So you know what? My hat's off to Pat Hendry when it comes to that. You know what? Just keep watching this podcast. We will help you give out the right information, what to fight for with the cops and what to say. If that's what it takes, we're proud to do it. We'll be a force from outside to help within. That's what we're doing. I like to see that you're not being singular and just addressing contracts. We need to address these morale issues. This is a new issue. You need to address this immediately, the concerns of the body cameras. No one should be working in this in this manner. We're just com 
right now we're creating complete hysteria and paranoia. It's enough being paranoid to be a cop as it is. But And you said something that's so true, John. It's unfortunate, but this job has been plagued by sexual deviants. And I feel sorry for these. I really do. I feel sorry for these women right now. I think to themselves, wow, I had my body camera on when I was breastfeeding or I was, you know, changing the locker room. You know, was someone watching me? You know, I mean, odds are, odds are it would be more likely someone's watching them before they're watching in the male locker room. I'm not saying that can't happen, but it's just, it's the nature of the beast. So it's unfortunate. And the other thing that you said, your cell phone, right? You got to be careful what you're talking about, your private cell phone, right? They could, this camera can record phone numbers. It can record intimate conversations. It can record intimate pictures. And, 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 and you know what? We're all adults here. If you choose to send pictures amongst you and your, uh, significant other or whoever that's you're an adult that's that's your business but for that to go on uh, on, on a live camera that's part of work is absolutely ridiculous now you have to be concerned when you have your body camera on when you answer your cell phone your, your your phone calls what position that phone is so it doesn't capture it these i mean it's impossible to be a cop right now it's a you can't even be a human no you can't live a normal life you have no expectation of privacy everybody's saying you know it's uh it's wild, man. And yeah, you're right. Pat Hendry, PBA, has basically stole our entire platform. Pat, I'm going to send you a bill for, uh, I'm going to send you a bill. It'll come in the mail because, you know, I mean, basically you are, I mean, basically we created your whole platform. Uh, but I will remind you, you are the guy that signed all the checks that went out to the all these anti-police, pro-criminal anti-victim politicians who have helped make New York City what it is today, a fucking shithole, and have helped the, make this job a, something that people don't want to do, where we have sergeants with the money vesting with 17 years on. We have sergeants vesting with 19 years on. We have lieutenants vesting with 18, 16, 15. This has never happened in history. This isn't, this isn't anything else. And what? The money's there, right? The, the salaries are up and people are still leaving. There's a big problem. You're a direct part of it. So you, the message is fine. You want to put it on Twitter, but you, there needs to be some follow through too. I know you weren't the president, but you were signing the check, dude, and you didn't say a word about it, and neither did anybody on that board. And the same goes for all you unions. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna steal verbatim what we're saying, we're sending you a bill for it. I'm just letting you know. Well, absolutely for babe. I, I saw a tweet by Pat Hendry, and it was a cop staring at staring at the train coming in. And it was basically about how the, if the NYPD goes out and, do, and does their job, that they will meet their own peril. And I said that verbatim on a podcast. So you know what, Pat? Thank you for your support. I'm glad you watched. I'm glad that we could help. I'm Listen, honestly, I'm happy that you're putting this information out there. It's about time. This is the information that should be out there. Social media is a powerful tool. The union leaders should be on social media the entire day. The majority of your day should be spent on social media. That's how you fight for the cops. That's how we've been fighting for the cops outside for what's going on within. So with the PBA talking, I'd like to mention one more thing. Let's talk about manpower. What are the real numbers, the manpower of the police department as we speak? Usually it's about 35,000 uniform members of service. I don't believe this. In no way is it anywhere near that number. What number do we believe it is at this point? I think mid to low 20s. And I, I and I think easy, easy. I would say twenty two to twenty five k. Actually, what it is, because it's, it's definitely not. It's definitely not thirty five thousand. It's definitely not thirty one thousand. 
It's definitely not. Well, I say we make a call to action at this point. You know, uh, on behalf of the New York's finest retirement filter podcast, we're definitely requesting that the New York City Police Department at this point to, to the interim police commissioner, Caben, put out the correct information. Let the public know what is the manpower, what's the size of the police department as we speak, because the numbers just don't match up. We're losing, we're losing a thousand cops, right? We're losing classes of cops that were up to 1500 cops and we're replacing them with a class that's 400. That's it. That's, that's a, an 1100 manpower gap. And then we know because of the politics, the legislation right now, and it's not the noble profession that it, it was one. It was once was, when 400 guys uh, actually enter the police academy, how many actually graduate? And out of those that graduate within two, three months, how many are actually staying on the police department? Yeah, and then and then that's coupled in with where we're getting all these people that are retiring early. And we're getting people that are resigning where they, we never had that before. So that, that hasn't even been accounted into the attrition rate, right? But like that 400 people, 10% don't make it out of the academy. Another 10% don't last that first month in the police department. Like, you know, so that 400 is really nothing. But we're losing those classes in mass as they come when they hit their 20 years. Plus, we're losing all these people that we shouldn't be losing. Right? And and no one's talking about it. So, what do you think yeah, about I, yes. Well, I'm no, sorry. What were you going to say? No, but I, I thought that the contract was going to be the, you know, the answer, the end-all, be-all. I'll tell you right now, this is from what I hear from everyone. I don't care. I don't give a shit. It's not worth it. I can't do this anymore. This is what I'm hearing from. It's sad to see, man. I mean, I don't share my private messages on social media. But if you saw the messages that I see, you know, I, I share some of them with Eric to just let, to just show him, like, what the hell's going on. And he gets some himself. Uh, but it's 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 really sad, man. It's It's really, really bad. That, you know, they feel that, you know, people feel they have nowhere to go other than to talk to two retired guys who are just basically calling it like it is, right? And there's nowhere for them to go uh, other than to vent to us. And we don't mind it at all, but it's just the, the messages I read, they're heartbreaking. And and, and, and nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. Uh, nothing's changing. What do you think about what happened today with the kid that was, I, I don't know if he was assigned to the health and wellness section, but he's in left rack on July 5th. And he says that he wrestled with a district surgeon and the surgeon took the phone out of his hand and hurt his rotator cuff. And he had a scratch on his hand. Well, obviously I don't know this kid from Adam, but just based on the information I have from the, the 911 call and that this person was suspended. My assumption is that, uh, this particular cop was out sick, didn't want to go back to work, and was recording the whole interaction that he had. And they told him to put his phone back, and they were trying to put it back to work. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what happened. It sounds like there's 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 definitely some fault on this cop. I don't know him. It was, was it was a guy, right? I don't know him or her, but yeah, yeah, it was a guy. It was a guy, right? I don't know him, but. Clearly, there was definitely some fault on his part. I don't. I wasn't there, like I said, but there's every reason to believe that this this particular cop was trying to film the entire interaction. And uh, my assumption is that he didn't want to go back to work. So I spoke to some people that actually supervised him. They didn't have very good things to say about the cop. 
right? So I'll take that with a grain of salt. You know, I don't know the guy personally, so I don't care. I, but I do, you know, I, I do take things I hear into account, you know. Said he's a little off. He's a little, you know, he's a hothead. This, that, the other thing. Thinks his shit doesn't stink. This, these are the things I heard. Uh, I don't know that any of that's true, but this is what I heard, right? And like I said, I, I agree with you 100%. I think they were trying to put him back to work. I think he was trying to record the conversation. I posted, I think uh, Leroy Press, Viral News New York, posted the 911 call. So I reshared that and I said, Do, does anyone believe there will be a proper investigation done? Because I don't. And that's my main concern is I don't know what happened. It's a 911 call. Um, he was probably in there for mental health, whatever, because that's why he was probably assigned to health and wellness. Um, and he probably did try to, in my opinion as well, I believe he tried to record that conversation and something transpired. And what transpired in that? And the things that I hear coming out of left rack and the things that I know have come out of left rack and the things that I know that go on down there, I have some concerns about what happened there too. Was that, was, did the cop instigate it or did the, or did the, the, the chief surgeon instigate it? Because it matters. Like it really actually matters what happened. I know the cop was subsequently suspended from the interaction but will anything he says be taken into account or will there be a proper investigation? Done? I mean, you and I, we've heard a lot of scuttlebutt about what goes on with health and uh, health and wellness. We've heard some, some real devious things that go on there. We spoke to cops personally, you and I have spoke to cops offline that, you know, that are afraid to come out because they're trying to pursue other careers. And then they were completely just um, demoralized and, and just treated like just dehumanized. Right. Uh, we heard some horror stories. So I, I do believe from the indication that we have so far, I do believe there is some fault on this cop, but I don't think this cop, it's almost like an insurance company. I don't think this cop is 100% to blame based on the information that we know. Uh, it, it, was this cop there for a psych issue? It's possible. I mean, I think that mental health is a huge problem. We're just talking about with these body cameras, all the politics, the legislation, everything that's being pushed, the internal pressures of the NYPD are, are causing a suicide epidemic. And it's possible. Maybe this cop was suffering from some type of anxiety. Maybe this cop is going through a mental crisis and they're trying to put this cop despite that. I am confident. And John, I think you agree. If you don't have any physical ailments that this job can actually see, if you claim some type of mental capacity, they will do everything in their power to put you back to work. A thousand percent. One thousand percent. I mean, I think there's going to be a bias towards more physically fit people, too, as well. I do think if you work out and a doctor looks at you, and not just the department doctor, I think if any doctor, you're fine. You're like, I don't know. I don't. I feel weird. I can't breathe. I'm getting anxious. No, you're good. I'm looking at you. You're fine. You know? <laughs> I, I'm like, no, but I don't feel good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I think there is a bias with that. I think... You know, we, we were talking about this offline, me and Eric. I was saying anxiety. I have been experiencing bouts of anxiety recently, right? Not under stress. I'm decompressing. I live in a beautiful part of the country. Um, I sleep good. I have a great life. Happy with my family. I have everything good. I've made peace with what's happened to me. 
Um, I'm really just over it at this point. I'm over the fact that I, I came to grips with the fact that I'll never work for the NYPD again. Um, I'm not going to be a lieutenant anymore. I'm just going to be a retired lieutenant. And I've been, you know, unemployed, and <laughs> piece of shit, unemployed, and piece of shit, lieutenant. And I came, I came to grips with it. And I'm like, and you know, the, for the past several months, I've been very content. I'm happy with the direction that my life is leading. This podcast is going, you know, the way everything's going in my life. And I started to experience anxiety and I never, you know, I think I'm dying. I go get my heart checked. I do all these things. Doctor's like, you're fine. Everything's fine. Your heart's good. We did, did the stress test. You know, your blood works good. There's nothing going on with you. You have anxiety. That's what they tell. And I was telling Eric, what do you think would happen if I went and called out as, as a police officer and said, I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like my heart's palpitating, and I don't know why. You'd be going back to work. And most likely, listen, possible, they might keep you on limited duty or restricted duty, but you'd be back to work. You'd be answering phones, doing some type of intake, but you're going to be a useful body. And there's, there's no plan on this job. There's no preemptive strike. There's, not, there's, there's zero... There's zero... Any, any type of preparation or any plan... When it comes to mental health on this job, physical ailments, yes, something you see is obvious, but for mental illness, it, it has not been addressed at all. I know they have the early intervention unit and they try their best, but a real legitimate plan, we're not there yet. Yeah. In a, in a command I worked, in a command I worked at, and I was on scene for, uh, on duty police officer killed himself. At that same command, his good friend, who he came out of the academy with, and he hung out off duty, and they were like family friends, had became very friendly, worked there. So when that happened, he was distraught, obviously. And he said, I don't feel comfortable having my gun right now. Right? They took his gun. Two days later, he walked back in the command full duty. To the point... I grilled him up and down. What are you doing here? Let me see your ID card. To the point I had to double check why he was there. I had to actually make phone calls to be like, why is this guy here? And, you know, I, I you know, I didn't know him well, but and, and he, didn't, he didn't open up to me. But from what other people told me was that he was basically pressured into getting back into work. They told him, you got to get your gun back. If you don't have your gun, we're going to have to, uh, whatever, put you out on disability or whatever that's called. You know, psych you off the job, basically. Um, I do think stuff like that happens. I think that happens for physical ailments as well. Um, I think 100% is happening for mental. 100%. And if that happened and this kid snapped, there's a problem. There's something that needs to be talked about. Now, I'm not saying that the surgeons should go to jail or anything like that. You know, maybe maybe the kid's exaggerating something or trying to protect himself in some way. But maybe the kid shouldn't be suspended either. Maybe, maybe we should look at what we're doing. Well, that, that's what that's the problem with this job. Also, that there's no compassion. This job doesn't actually have solutions or resolve. It's just punitive. It's just it's just completely punitive. They weaponize the discipline matrix. They they suspend and modify immediately. And if anything, if this guy is going through a mental crisis, right? The whole country's talking about let's we're standing up for people in mental crisis. Our cops, our actual protectors, they go into mental crisis, especially in the NYPD. And that's why I said. I think there is some fault on this cop, especially if you're out there recording and trying to record the conversation. You're going to make 
you know, it's it's disrespectful to those those surgeons who hold the rank of inspector, right? It, it is the case. However, why is this cop doing that, right? That's the question we have to ask. And if this cop is going through a mental crisis by actually implementing a suspension, could drive this person to to a suicide. It's not it's not helping. So we need to get to the grassroots and actually address the mental health issues, which are the internal pressures of the NYPD. Also, I saw the tax number. I think he's fairly young on this job. And we're not hiring people that are built for, for New York City Police Department. We're hiring people that are meet, timid, and docile, say all the time. We have lower the standards, and we're hiring people that are just not built for this type of profession. Right? We talk about equal employment opportunity. Yes. Everyone should have an opportunity who has the capabilities of doing this job. I don't think everyone should bear the, you know, bear the capabilities and ability to wear the uniform of the New York City Police Department. It's not for everyone. And I, I say, listen, you might be able to be a cop somewhere else, right? Because policing is not one size fits all. But I, I've been in Florida for you know close to a year right now, and I've been around the country. I was in the Marines. And I can tell you, New York City is special. It's a different temperature. And just the New York Police Department is not for everyone. It's just not. I don't think it's for anybody anymore, honestly. Well, that's, that's true, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, like, I'm really honestly at that point. I don't know who's going to last 20 years under this amount of pressure. I really don't. And, and like, for me, the, the, the worst part of the job for me was, was, the, was the, like, the demands of it, like the, the schedule of it, the shift work. I think that was the worst part of it, especially, like, being in, in precincts. I think that was the toughest part of my career. And the lack of manpower and the always doing more with less. I think that stuff weighed on me a lot. I'm a very conscientious person. I couldn't ha- hold jobs, like nothing like that. I like, I, you know, if there's a crime going on, I'm all in, man. I'm, I'm reading everything. I think those things weighed on me a lot. But 2021, that vaccine mandate, I think that that thing did me in mentally, physically, everything. I mean, and I think, I think it did it for all. I think it did it for everybody. I really do. I really do. I think the pressures of CCRB are weighing in on everybody. I think all of that is hanging on everyone's head. The rhetoric from the politicians is hanging on everyone's head. But that vaccine mandate, whether you took the vaccine, you didn't take the vaccine, you didn't want to take the vaccine, you got an exemption, you didn't get granted an exemption, whatever it is, that weighed on a lot of people. They saw a different side to New York City that they never thought would happen. They saw people get fired, forced out. They were forced to take something, felt forced to take something. I think they saw they they literally at that moment in time, I think every member of the NYPD and every person in New York City were like, wow, they're treating us like we're on a plantation that Eric Adams owns. <laughs> it's funny that you you use that analogy. <laughs> When he just used that recently. But you know what? I love that statement. I'll tell you why. I love the statement that you just made. I was just listening to you say that. I'm saying to myself, wow. You know what? It's not like most – we we should say that, hey, the NYPD organization, the majority of it is running well. It's a well-oiled machine, and there's a few things that need to be ironed out. But no, you're right. Honestly, at this point, you're right. It, it's a job for no one because here, here you are. You're in a position, right, about you know making a decision about the vaccine. So people had to pressure the vaccine. People have pressure right now about uh, car chases, right? If they get into a car chase and something happens, are they going to be arrested? We know cops right now that are being charged for assault, for a 911 call that's brought to a particular location. I myself had the pressure of the Civilian Complaint Review Board 
And you know what I say all the time? You know, I was offered at the end of my career, I was offered that I could be an intelligent in the intelligence bureau as a lieutenant or the commanding officer of a detective squad. And I turned it down. And I knew at that point, even if I was shelved, staying indoors, that I was still targeted by an overzealous affiliate complaint review board. And I would be targeted for old cases in which I was. And they were just digging up any information just to get me out of there. So I don't know how anyone is going to survive at this point, especially these young guys were saying, these guys that are out there right now in neighborhood safety or the guys with the khaki pants are out there doing real police work. If they if their name comes up and they're targeted by an overzealous civilian complaint review board and they have 15, 17 years to go, I don't see how they can make it. You ask me, honestly, I got lucky. Dude, I went, I was just out to dinner with my wife's friend. I was with one kid. He was a cop. He's he's on sanitation now. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. It's unheard of. Right? Never heard of it. There's guys, heard. there's guys that left to go on MTA. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about it. I said, what's the longevity of a cop today as opposed to 20 years ago? Right? I love all these guys. Oh, I've been a cop for 30 years. You were a cop for 30 years. You were probably only a cop for 10 of them. But you were a cop for maybe even less than that. But you were a cop for 30 years. I'll give it to you. But these guys are not going to be able to do that. No, their life, their their ability to function at a high level is going to be at a very short window with the amount of pressure. Their uh, ability to remain mentally and physically healthy is going to be a very short window. Twenty five years, way too long for these guys. Twenty years is way too long for these guys. I mean, just you and I were being trolled by the assistant commissioner, right? He said he had 35 years on the job. Out of those 35 years, how, how much was he actually exposed to harm's way? And I don't mean by harm's way, by physically. I mean harm's way by a potential lawsuit, civilian complaint review board, by these things that actually hurt your career, potentially have you terminated or even arrested. Maybe his first 10 years, right, when it was a complete different time and he wasn't subjected to the, the legislation that is now. So for a guy like that, don't even compare yourself. It's absolutely ridiculous. Mayor Adams, Chief Madry, Chief Schnell, most of these guys, they wouldn't survive as cops right now in this environment. They couldn't do it. First of all, Mayor Adams can't even handle being berated by an 84-year-old woman who was respectful when she said Mr. Mayor. She's 84 years old, and he couldn't handle that. And he, and he, his skin was so sensitive. But he expects cops to be told, suck my dick every day on a daily basis and not have any rebuttal and because they're going to get some backlash from the civilian complaint review board. But he can't handle it from an 84-year-old woman. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's he, – he, he's a piece of garbage. I mean, if anyone that's seen that exchange, like he's – he basically berated this 84-year-old woman who escaped the Nazis, who's a tenant advocate, who's complaining that she got her rent raised twice because of him, who said he cares about everyone and he cares about the community. And she pointed a finger, Mr. Mayor, it's because of you. And he said, don't you point your finger at me. Like I'm on the plantation you own, and I answered your question. Next person, that was what he like. Literally, a piece of garbage. Complete zero respect for him. And keep in mind, she was about fifty feet away. She was nowhere. She was not even in his in his personal zone of safety, or just being uncomfortable because someone's close to you. Her finger was about fifty feet away. I mean, I even watched a clip from the Young Turks, which is probably the most progressive show out there. You think they would be in line with Progressive Adams, and they just ate him up on it and said, you know what? 
You're not some type of king where people have to respect you. You work for the people. I think not. Absolutely. I mean, he's talking about, oh, they have to respect me. I'm the mayor of the city. You're not a king on a throne. You're supposed to work for the people. What, what happened to humility? I respect the cuck Bill de Blasio more. I respect him more sitting there, whatever his wife's doing with other people. You know, I respect him more than I respect Eric Adams because you know what? The guy used to get berated, berated by the media, and he never threw a temper tantrum. He just went along. He thought he was on his high horse and he was right and he didn't care what anybody thought. Eric Adams can't even hold, can't even answer questions. The minute he gets thrown a question that does not scripted for him or something where it shows his complete hypocrisy or, or what, what a phony he really is. He snaps and goes right to race. You don't look like me. These people don't look like me. Don't you point your finger like we're on a plantation. I answered your question. Didn't answer anything. Didn't even answer the question. And nobody nobody beats him up on it. Nobody calls him out on it. Uh, it's pathetic, honestly. The, the, oh, I agree with you. you I know. mean, it's amazing that how Mayor Adams shows shows so much emotion. And I mean, just it just looks so weak in, in his part to get upset by an 84-year-old woman. I, I mean, it's hard to compare with de Blasio. I agree. I mean, he got beat up by the media, but now I just think the guy is completely emotionless. I mean, anybody that can live with a woman, uh, I, I don't care if you're in love with her anymore or not and know that she's going to be with other men. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe he likes to watch at this point because it sure seems like it. Uh, I just think that guy is completely emotionless. I mean, I don't I don't think you're going to see it with other men. I mean, she has stated that she's a lesbian. I mean, I, oh, always, right, said, yeah. I always said this is a marriage of convenience. You know, I always said it. it's a marriage of convenience. He dangled his children in front of the camera to be elected to, to mayor. I mean, the guy changed his name to fit in with the minority ethnic community at the time, which was Italians. Right. He, he changed his name to get elected. The guy's a shapeshifter, just like Eric Adams. Did you see the, the other thing that he that this people are saying at that photo that he shared of the cop that he had? That he said he's been carrying his wallet for decades that they yeah. it. They printed it out on Google and poured coffee on it so they make it look old, and he pulled it out of his wallet. I mean, that doesn't shock me at all. I actually thought that it was bullshit when he pulled it out. It doesn't surprise me either. I mean, just all the the, the ploys and the, the, the political theatrics that we see, it's absolutely ridiculous. Again, like you said, the Blasio, complete theatrics. His whole marriage appeared to be a sham. I mean, parading your kids around for the benefit of your political career. Adams, again, his stuff is all political theatrics. I mean, he, you know, he wants to appear that he's this crusader for black people that you're fighting for, you know, opposing slavery. But you're arguing with an 84-year-old woman. I think if, you know, if I had an 84-year-old woman pointing her finger in my face, if she was actually touching my face, I would just uh, no, man, I have no issues. And she's 84. I mean, come on. She deserves the right to, to raise her voice. She's 84. She's lived, she lived on this earth a long time. Give her that respect. She's 84. Come on. Have a little, uh, have a little compassion. And the other thing that's going to start coming down the pipeline is the rise in crime stemming from the migrants that he welcomed, called for, asked for till they got here. And then he was like, "Well, you know, I didn't really want to be a sanctuary city. I just thought it sounded good, you know." Um, the rise in crime that they're seeing spiking in Manhattan, and now they're going to shift them across all the boroughs because they're forming gangs. There is organized crime coming. I mean, everyone's seen it. Everyone called it out. You know, you go to these male shelters. They're military-aged males. They have no opportunity where they're draining New York City resources 
funds, money, all this stuff. And now they're pickpocket gangs, robbery gangs, stealing gangs, burglaries. Um, and that, that lies on him too. I mean, and he doesn't like it, obviously. And you could see that the media doesn't report it. But you guys are seeing it out there. Well, I guess they'll have to come up with another unit. I don't know what color pants they'll wear to address these migrants. <laughs> maybe, maybe these guys are wearing green pants. Who knows? But it's a huge problem. You said all the time. I agree. I mean, these are young males. They're, they're, they're the age of males that could easily enter the military. They have not been vetted. I mean, and they're out there. They, this is another issue that's going to be a problem. And they're going to have to try to hide it because they claim to be a sanctuary city. I mean, they welcome this problem. He took on this problem. He's going to have to answer for it. But luckily for him, I think by the time that he has to answer for it, he's going to be – he'll be done as mayor and be next to someone next. I don't think he'll be up for a second term. This is going to be a big problem in the future. I mean, if anyone's looking at what's going on in France, it's – I mean, that's a, that's the future. That is the future in New York City right there. If Absolutely. They, this migrant crisis does not get under control – if this progressive policy and legislation does not get rolled back, that is New York City fit. So I just think right now, it would, all the legislation they put in, Sanctuary City, all the laws that have been stripped away, we're taking on water here. It's like, you know, the, the ocean's coming up, the tide's high, we're taking on water. And before you know, it's just going to be a complete tsunami. Like I said, it, it, it's coming. How, how much more can New York City handle? We have migrants. Crime is through the roof. I don't. Want, I don't want to hear about these numbers. That the numbers are down. You and I know it's all semantics. People, aren't even, people aren't even reporting stuff. And I, I guarantee numbers are being fudged. I guarantee it. Guarantee. Well, I, I would put my last dollar, especially in this administration. We'll probably find out. This is probably going to be the most corrupt administration we've ever seen. I'm confident that they're fudging numbers. And it's impossible. You said it earlier. You're talking to guys on a constant basis. I'm talking to cops. Every day, cops are venting about what's going on. The civilian complaint review board, can you help me out? What do you think about this case? They're being targeted by the discipline matrix. They tell me how the city is just completely viral. I talk to people that aren't cops and tell me just how it's completely deteriorating. It's like escape from New York. It's a complete cesspool. So, yeah, their perception is reality. I don't care what your numbers say. Right now, it's a terrible It's a terrible place to live. Yeah. And uh, I, how long do you think before uh, Ed Caban gets named permanent or does he? <laughs> I don't think he'll be named uh, permanent commissioner. Absolutely not. I think this is. I mean, why would they name him the interim commissioner as it is? He easily should have fell right to the spot. It should have been the police commissioner. Why have this code interim? The reason why he's called the interim or the acting because if something goes wrong or if Sal Greco's case comes to light and he has to testify and they see the hypocrisy and Sal Greco wins his case, he could easily be removed and say he was just the acting commissioner. Good point. Good point. All right, I think we should wrap it up. We went a little long on this one. Hour 40. Well, it's, it's been a while. Listen, everyone's celebrating 4th of July. You know, I hope everyone had a, had a good experience uh, for their 4th of, July, 4th of July weekend and the actual 4th of July. You know, for my fellow veterans out there, thank you for serving and everything. So uh, what do you think? It's time for a word from our sponsors. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Laidlaw Blue, you need any financial advice, want any financial plan, contact Henry and John. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. 
Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management, run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. Right, baby. Uh, outstanding. Listen, I think it was a great episode. This is a new segment. I know it went a little long, but it's been a couple of days, you know, celebrating July 4th. So there's a lot of content to pass around. Uh, John, anything you want to add? No, just, yeah. Well, listen, we're not knocking you guys. We're just trying to keep you guys safe. I, I just think it's dumb. I'm looking from the outside. We're on the sidelines, me and Eric. I think it's, I think it's really, I think it's really stupid. I think it's really dumb. People are going to get hurt over it. I'm telling you, and it's not going to be. And in the long run, it's not going to be worth it because what is even happening to these people? <laughs> the DAs aren't even doing anything. So what are we doing? We're chasing our tail. It's dumb. Chief, smart enough. That's my message. Yeah. I, I, that's my message. I, we have to stop with this mentality that it won't happen to me. I don't want it to happen to you. But when it happens to you, it's too late. And then you ask yourself, wow, how did I get here? That's what happened to me. I had eight sets of charges from the Civilian Complaint Review Board while I was getting rewards and awards from the job of the community. So on one hand, I was told I was doing a great job, but the Civilian Complaint Review Board was taking me down. So this can happen to you. Yes, Chief Schnell is, is supporting you, saying you're doing a good job, and you are. You are helping. But the Civilian Complaint Review Board could come down on you, the Attorney General, and then there's nothing they could do. To step. They're not going to step in. They're not going to put their careers and their lives on the line for you. You're expendable. It's unfortunate. Don't let it happen to you. Again, we're not trying to insult you. We want to help you. Thank you for watching, everybody. 265 Police Live brought to you by New York's Finance Retirement Filter Podcast. John McCarry, thank you, brother, for always taking this journey with me. Be safe out there. Listen up.